Welcome to the Serialized Short Story Podcast, Secrets Out, by Christopher Chapman. Secrets Out is performed by the author. You can pre-order Secrets Out as an ebook that will play on Kindle, Nook, Kobo, and any iDevice you can get your hands on by going to goingpostalpublishing.com and clicking on the store link. Listener discretion is advised. There are adult situations, violence, and naughty words your mother wouldn't want you repeating to your neighbor. And now, the story continues. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, this is the Going Postal Cast. It is Secrets Out, Grandpa's Secret, Part 3. This is the third part of the short story, Grandpa's Secret, part of the short story collection, Secrets Out. I am your author host, Christopher Chapman, and I'm going to pleasure your ears with sultry sounds. This is the last episode before Christmas. We are finishing up Grandpa's Secret this week, and we're going to go quiet until the first Monday of January. On January 6th, you will see the first zombie. I know, you've already heard it, but it was a low-quality version that I kind of threw together at the last second. This one's actually going to sound halfway decent. I've edited the story. It's a little tighter, has a little bit more pizzazz. Is that even a word anymore? Do people still say pizzazz? I I have no idea. That'll be coming your way on January 6th. So we're going to be quiet for a couple of weeks, but then we'll be back with some more stories. Once again, I want to point out that Secrets Out is going to be one story a month. So no matter how long it takes me to do the stories, whether it be one episode or four episodes, you're going to only have you're going to have one story per month and then we go quiet for whatever time there is until the next month. This is allowing me to catch up on some other projects and make sure that when this is done, we can jump right into the football story, which I'm hoping within the next month or so I'm going to have the actual name of that for you. I'm working on that as well as some other stuff. And you'll be seeing all that coming very, very soon. So we're going to jump into the story right away. We're going to get this over with. I'll talk to you a little bit on the flip side. So here is Grandpa's Secret, Part 3. He needed to decide what he should do. He still didn't have a phone and he knew that he was going to have trouble getting upstairs when he hurt as badly as he did. His neck and back were already becoming stiff, a product of the fall he'd taken. He chose the one thing he could do. He would check out what else was in the basement while his head cleared itself of the cobwebs. There wasn't a lot to look at. The basement was basically empty. What he did find looked as if it hadn't been touched in a decade. An old workbench was at the far end of the basement, behind the steps. That was as good a place as any to start. He wanted something where he could keep his mind occupied while he thought of what to do, and he wanted to keep an eye on the door. He wanted to know the moment she decided to come back out of it. The workbench wasn't much. It had probably been nice decades ago when his grandfather could still go up and down the stairs with ease. The boot prints on the floor told David that his grandfather had still been coming into the basement recently, probably just before his death. He grabbed the first drawer's handle. He opened it and looked inside. There were three old wrenches, a screwdriver, 
and a hammer. He reached in and grabbed the screwdriver and hammer. He placed them next to him. He was able to reach the drawer below it with minimal bending, but that was going to be as low as he could go. The lower he went seemed to make his head worse. Inside this drawer were old, dusty work gloves. Holes were visible in some of the fingers. He grabbed a pair and added them to the top of the workbench. He closed the drawer and moved to the left. There were more drawers to investigate. He started with the lower drawer this time, opening it. Screws, nuts, and bolts filled this drawer. He quickly closed it, knowing there was nothing he could use. He opened the final drawer, expecting to see more tools. The drawer didn't have any tools inside. The only thing he found was a book. Curious about the book, David reached in and pulled it out. He studied it, trying to see what it was. It was a leather-bound hardcover with words printed on the top. The words were mostly hidden behind years of dust. David used a hand to wipe the dust free. When he saw a journal written prominently on the cover of the book in gold foil, he remembered seeing the book before. He was pretty young when he saw it last, but he saw his grandfather sitting in his chair, writing into that book. David had often asked him what he was writing, or if he could read it, but his grandfather had kept it as secret as the room in the basement. As he got older, he saw it less and less until it no longer showed up. David opened the book, looking at the first entry. He read the date printed in his grandfather's writing in the top right corner and did the math. It had been written on June 6th, 24 years earlier, two years before he was born. Geraldine is gone. I think I've come to realize that. It has been three weeks since she went to her mother's and didn't come back. She had been acting very strange before she left. Now I know it was because she was seeing another man. My doctor says I need an outlet. My blood pressure is high enough that problems might happen. I don't really buy into that bullshit. But he is right about me needing to get it off my chest. Already, as I write these first few words, I feel better than I have since she left. My life is incomplete without her. I look at her son. Dennis is a good boy, and he misses his mother a lot. He spends most of his time with his friends, masking the pain I know he's feeling. I think it's for the best. He doesn't have to see me cry. I don't know what I'm going to do. I suppose that I'm going to have to move on and live my life, but I don't know if that's possible. I married her, giving her my undying love. Sometimes that is not enough. I spoke to her for the first time on the telephone yesterday. She seems to be doing well. She told me, for the first time, that she left because she had met somebody else. She's in love with Steve Phillips. He's married as well. I told her that I wished her well, but that is a lie. I need her back. I'm willing to do just about anything for that to happen. David stared at the scribbles for a few seconds longer. He was holding a journal that his grandfather wrote when dealing with his wife leaving. David felt sad, knowing how hard that was. He'd had very little insight into what his grandmother was like, or how she'd impacted them with what she'd done. Until now, she had been a faceless person that he'd heard stories about. 
He never knew that he would actually meet her years after she was supposed to be dead. He flipped ahead in the journal and read some more. I found her. I finally found her. Got a letter in the mail. How stupid can she be? The postmark says that she's a Newton. I found her. After all of this pain and suffering, I'm finally going to bring her back. David quickly flipped the page. After hours of talking, I finally talked her into coming home. I would love to say that it was because of me, but she did it because of Dennis. She actually missed him and wanted to come home to see him. I wish that had gone better. Dennis didn't want to see her. We came in the house and he flipped out, saying that he didn't want anything to do with her. He called her a whore, which I had to step in and get angry with him for that, but he stormed off. He didn't come back until bedtime. Making love with my wife again was amazing. I'm afraid that she didn't feel the same. I got the sense that her mind was somewhere else as it was happening. I think that once Dennis comes around, we're going to be better off. David heard a noise coming from the room just as he finished that entry. He looked towards the door, wondering what she was up to. He didn't know. He looked back at the journal. Something happened and forced his grandmother into that room. She was wearing her wedding dress for Christ's sake. This was a situation he could have never envisioned himself being in. He was definitely in it, and he needed to do something quickly to figure out how to handle it. The smartest thing to do would be to contact the police, or even his father. Anybody would have a better idea of how to handle this than he had. He no longer had a phone, and he wasn't sure how far he would make it if he left the house. For the time being, he was better off where he was. She didn't seem dangerous. She seemed scared. He skipped ahead a few pages and read, That guy has been coming around again, looking at her. I keep telling him to leave things alone. He will not listen. He tried starting a fight with me, but I refused. I know my limitations. He is a much younger man than me. My days of fighting are long behind me. I'm afraid that this is going to need to be resolved at some point. Dennis refuses to speak to his mother. Three days in a row he has not spoken to her. He doesn't look in her direction. He spends all of his time in his room listening to cassettes of songs about cheaters and liars. There's been a surprising amount of REO Speedwagon. I want to convince him that this is still his mother, but he refuses. I don't know what to do. Geraldine seems distant. I'm running out of options. I feel as if my entire life is blowing up around me. David quickly flipped ahead. The guy will no longer be a problem. I saw to that. But I have another problem that seems far worse. Geraldine is sick. She's lost a lot of weight. At first, I thought that it was the stress from what happened, and then coming home. But the doctor said that it was far worse. It was one of those conversations you see on television. The ones where he pulls you into his office and closes the door. She has breast cancer. The symptoms likely started while she was still here. It got to the point where it could no longer be cured while she was out with that guy. He gave me only a few options. 
He told me that she could start the chemical stuff that would keep her alive a few months longer, but she would feel like shit the whole time. Or we could skip the treatments and get our affairs in order while she felt better than she did with the treatments. I'm not content with either option. I've already been making phone calls and writing letters. There has to be something out there, a drug, that she can use that will make her better. We've had all these promises about medical miracles, yet they claim that there is nothing they can do for my wife. All of those promises mean nothing if they can't save her. David bent the page to mark his spot and closed the journal. He'd read enough for the moment. He turned to go to the door again, but stopped suddenly. The door was sitting wide open. He moved to the door quickly. She had to still be in there. There is no way that she could have gotten by him. He stood outside the doorway, listening to what was inside. He heard nothing. He debated for a few moments as to what he should do. He decided that she was an old woman that had been living in a basement. She didn't seem to post much of a threat. He stepped into the doorway, trying to see what was in the room. He couldn't see much, but what he did see made his stomach want to expel all the food he'd eaten over the last few days. A dog. More specifically, the dog he'd seen on the paper posted the front door lied in the room. Large chunks of flesh and hair had been torn from the dog. Maggots crawled from it, heading down to the floor. He now knew what the smell was. David backed away, not knowing what to make of it. He scanned the rest of the room quickly. As best as he could tell, she wasn't in there. She had managed to get by him somehow. It was time to get out of the basement. He no longer felt good about being in the house at all. He wanted to be out and as far away from it as he could. This was the house he enjoyed being in more than any other as he grew up. And because he met a frail old woman, he wanted no part of it any longer. He went to the steps. He climbed over the broken step, being careful not to lose his balance. He went up the remaining stairs until he was at the top. He grabbed the door handle and pulled. It didn't budge. He grabbed tightly and pulled as hard as he could. The door didn't move at all. It was locked. He thought about pulling on the old knob until it broke, but then he looked at the basement below and worried he wouldn't be able to keep his balance if he were able to break it free. He let go of the knob and slammed his fist against the door until it started to hurt. He dropped down one step, thinking it over. He didn't know what to do. He was trapped. Hey! He shouted, knowing that he could be heard throughout the house from where he stood. He received no response, but he hadn't expected one. He went back down to the basement floor. He scanned the room, looking for any other exit. There wasn't one, and he knew it. He'd scanned the room when he came down originally. He was panicking, and this wasn't a good sign. He wondered what time it was, but his watch had been damaged during the fall. His father would be coming to the house around nine. David had been woken sometime in the early morning, probably around one or two. He'd been on the floor for a while. Using math, he determined that it had to be somewhere near five or six in the morning. He still had a few hours before his dad would come and potentially get him out of the mess he was in. He looked at the journal sitting on the workbench. He decided that he had time to kill. 
He was going to go back to the journal and read some more to pass the time. He sat on the workbench's surface, facing himself back towards the steps. He wanted to make sure that he saw if the door opened upstairs or if the woman he believed to be his grandmother returned. He opened the book to just beyond the folded corner and read, Geraldine is getting worse. I thought that this experimental medicine was supposed to help. I'm paying a hundred dollars a week, but for what? She has steadily gotten worse. She's lost ten pounds, maybe more, and she was already skin and bone. She no longer seems to have an appetite, and she barely sleeps. Her voice is slurred, and she goes for long periods of time where she stares off into space. I know that she is angry with me about what happened with her boyfriend, but this isn't part of that. It's different, but I can't exactly place how. I'm trying to figure it out. David turned the page. The pill pusher insists that the pills are working. I seriously doubt that. She's lost more weight and still refuses to eat. We had a conversation last night where she babbled incoherently towards me. I think that her mind is starting to go. I hear that's a sign that the end is near. I don't know what to do. Geraldine is my life. I didn't go through this much trouble with her and her boyfriend to lose her again so quickly. If it weren't for Dennis, I might have to consider ending it all. I know how scary that sounds. David checked the stairs in the room quickly before flipping ahead a few pages. I think this might be it. I stopped the pills a week ago, and nothing has improved. She's down to about 80 pounds. She looks at me, but I know she doesn't know who I am anymore. The saddest part is that I think that the pills did this to her. She was supposed to have six months left. It's been less than three, and I don't think she has more than a day or two left in her. The few words I was able to make out sounded like she was telling me that she wants to die. I have her in her bed. She's napping now. I don't think she's going to wake up. He looked at the next page. Geraldine is gone. Just as I thought, she passed during the night. When I got up this morning to help her to the bathroom, she wasn't breathing. I checked her heart. Nothing. What am I going to do? She was the love of my life. I can't live without her. Why am... It cut off. His grandfather must have been too upset to continue on. David found that he was crying. He heard his grandfather's voice in the words. It made him feel as though he were close to his grandfather once more, feeling what he felt. In the journal, his grandfather said that she had died. If she had, what was she doing in the house? Was this what ghosts were supposed to be like? Had his grandfather's love brought her back from the grave? He knew how impossible that all sounded, yet he thought he was starting to believe it. She was in that room, or she had been. She had snuck by him, as if she were a ghost, and snuck upstairs. She had been in the house for the last couple of days, always just out of reach, and somehow able to approach him and take his cell phone. He was scared, yet he didn't completely understand what he was scared of. He was trapped in a basement, his grandfather's basement, and he didn't know if he were ever going to get out. 
if his grandmother had been in that room for that long, was he going to be next? Was it his turn to spend time in this basement? That wasn't going to happen. The house was going to be torn down in the next couple of days. As soon as the house was empty, which was likely going to be today, it was going to be torn down. David slammed his fist down against the workbench, sending dust into the air and forcing three large sneezes out of him. When he finally got his sinuses back under control, he knew that there was only one thing he could do at the moment. Go back to the journal. With how frightened he was, it was somehow lessening the worry and helplessness. It was as if his grandfather was with him while he read it. He continued, It's a miracle. I can't believe it. Praise God. I didn't have the guts to call the undertaker this morning. I wanted a few more hours with Geraldine. I'm glad that I did because I was wrong. She's alive. Thank God she's alive. David couldn't believe it. He continued to the next entry. As excited as I was to see Geraldine alive, I'm concerned that she's never going to be the same. Although she moves and sometimes talks, she is much the same as she'd been before I thought she died. She started eating again, which is good, but she did so by killing Rex. She loved that dog. To see her bite into him and eat him as though he were steak made me ill. I tried to stop her, but it was too late. Rex was suffering. It was just better to let her finish. I don't know what I'm going to do. I write this hoping that I can somehow will myself into breaking this mental barrier that prevents me from knowing what I should do. She isn't right, but I don't think that there's anything a doctor can do to help me or her. David heard a noise just as he was about to move on to the next entry. He was completely interested in what was going to happen next in his grandfather's tale of loss and despair. Now that he heard things coming from above him, he knew there were more important things to worry about. Hey! he called once more. He shouted as loud as he could, hoping that it was his father who'd arrived. He yelled for a few more seconds, but he knew it was doing him no good. He listened for a few moments, trying to determine what was happening above him. He could hear footsteps, lots of them, as somebody scurried from one room to the next and back again. There was no chance in hell that it was his father. The steps were too light. But there had been one loud sound. Something was sliding across the floor above. There was another sound as well. Was it whimpering? The kind that an animal makes when it's injured? David looked back to the room and the dog within. He tried to resist what he believed had happened, but he'd also read it in the journal. She killed the family dog after her supposed death. There had been a dog in the room that looked as if it had been partially eaten. He thought back to his childhood, and how there had been so many kids in the neighborhood that had come to the house looking for their missing animals. They had mostly been dogs, but there had been some cats as well. Animals had a way of disappearing in this neighborhood, and he finally understood why. His grandfather had been killing them for her. What he was listening to upstairs was her killing another animal. He walked back to the stairs and looked up towards the locked door. He should try his luck and get the door open, but not yet. He was feeling a little better than he had when he first discovered that he was locked in the basement. He thought that a little while longer would be beneficial to him getting good enough 
where he might be able to get that door open and not fall to his doom. He sat on the bottom step this time. He was going to read the journal again, even if the light wasn't as good here. He wanted to see if there was anything written that may help him. He wanted to have a clue as to what had happened and why she was the way she was. There were no logical explanations. I can't keep her like this anymore. She has tried to hurt me on more than one occasion. She claws at me and tries to bite me as if I were an animal. I've sought answers, but not from doctors. They'd simply want to test her. I talked to the people from the drug company, the one that she had been taking the pills from to attempt to beat the cancer. He's going to be coming by sometime this week, but we both think that this might have something to do with the pills. He's offered me money to keep this quiet and wants to come by and see for himself. He either thinks I'm lying or is worried that I'm going to do something to ruin him or his company. I hadn't given that a whole lot of thought, to be honest. For the time being, I have her locked in the bedroom. She has trashed it, breaking things and trying to get herself out. I've resorted to having to get physical with her, striking her when she gets too bad. That has slowed her down. Dennis has talked about wanting to come home for a while now that he thinks his mother is dead. I have made excuses to keep him away. I don't want him to see his mother this way. I don't want anybody to see her this way. David flipped to the next page. Things couldn't be worse. Geraldine is gone. Well, the real Geraldine is gone. This isn't her, not even close. I have to hide her. I need to find a way to keep her away from people. She's dangerous, very dangerous. What she did to the guy from the pill company is inhuman. I should have known better than to let him be alone with her. I don't know how it happened. I'm afraid that the guy came just to kill her so that there was no proof that the pills he helped manufacture did this to her. He asked to be alone with her so he could test her. That was what I was against but I didn't want to see anybody else end up in the same mess. Nobody deserved to see their loved one turn into a freak before their eyes. I heard noise in the room. I still waited for a minute or two before I knocked on the door to ask what was going on. The scream she gave off chilled me to the bone. It's been three days and I think I still have goosebumps. I opened the door and saw blood everywhere. It was on the walls and even the ceiling. Most of all, it was all over her, and she was eating him just as she had done the dog. My first thought that she looked like something out of those zombie movies that Dennis liked so much. I know that is ridiculous. She's alive. Her heart beats and everything, but she does things that people might consider zombie-like. Her flesh isn't rotting, but her brain sure is something like that, and she loves to eat whatever is in front of her. There is no name for what she is. And now that the pill guy is dead, I might never know. I needed to get rid of the body. I used the potato cellar. There wasn't much room anymore. I made it work. The smart thing to do would be to kill her and put her out of her misery, but I can't do that. I love her. I can't live without her. Every time I think about doing something that most people would consider humane, I want to hurt myself. She is the love of my life. She isn't going anywhere. David moved ahead several pages. Geraldine is adapting well. 
she still refuses to eat cooked meat. She has her own room. Nobody will be taking her from me anytime soon. Dennis has been coming around again, now that I let him. He has many questions, but I don't have as many answers. He wonders why we didn't have the funeral for his mother. I told him that we did, but he missed it. That wasn't a very good excuse, and I'm sure he's found out from others that I'm lying. At this point, I don't care. He's not coming around much anymore. He got a job and has been living with friends. I think that it might be better if it stays that way. I'm glad that I thought about this room. I don't know what I would have done if I hadn't. The worst problem is that I have to keep bringing food in for her. Those steps are getting to the point where I can't go up and down them anymore. I'm going to have a second entrance built. I just have to make sure that it stays hidden. The last thing I need is for somebody to find her. There will be too many questions. She'll be taken away from me. I might go to prison. David put down the journal. He could have read on, but he no longer wanted to. He was growing tired, and he knew everything he needed to know about his grandmother and what she was. If he had any other questions, he could always go back to the journal. There were two things from the latest entries that intrigued him, but nothing more than the idea that there might be a way out. He scanned the basement again, trying to see if he'd missed something. He didn't see any possibility of it. He also searched for the potato cellar that his grandfather had made reference to in the journal. He didn't see that either. There was so much dirt and dust on the ground that it made it next to impossible to know if there was something hidden underneath. He walked around the room, searching for spots where the floor looked strangely uneven. When he got to the corner, just before it lowered to where the door was, he found what he was looking for. He bent down slowly, trying not to go too fast out of fear that he might get dizzy and pass out. He used his fingertips to pry into small cracks in the dust, finding the plastic edges. He pulled upwards, feeling the weight of the cover. It was heavier than he'd first thought it would be. There was a strange squelching sound as it finally came free, becoming suddenly very light. He nearly fell backwards as the cover went flying. Mold and brown covered the backside of the cover. He smelled a new, horrible stench coming from the hole. He was worried about what he might find, but he was determined to see what his grandmother had done. He peeked into the hole, wishing that he hadn't almost instantly. He found the man that his grandfather had spoken of, the pill guy, but he regretted it. There wasn't much left of him, but being in the cellar had somehow preserved him over the years. Even after the time that had passed, he was still decomposing. David could make out the areas where his grandmother had taken bites out of him. There was one fact that made things worse. He wasn't alone. There was another man in the hole. He was just as decomposed as the pill guy, but there were no marks on him other than a single hole in his forehead, just above his left eye. The mummified remains told David a story that he wished he'd never learned. It was the man that Grandma had run off with. He thought back to what his grandfather had written. He said that he took care of the situation after he started coming around. His grandfather was a great hunter and was a pro when it came to using a gun. When he shot at something, he didn't miss. He hadn't missed this time either. He had taken care of the boyfriend by killing him. 
David backed away, feeling his entire world crumbling around him. His grandfather, the man he respected more than any other, had killed another person and harbored a woman that had killed another. He was directly responsible for the deaths of two people, men that didn't deserve the fate they'd received. This couldn't be happening. He didn't want to believe it. The throbbing pain in his head was playing tricks on him, yet he knew that it was bogus. He knew that he was right about all of this. He knew what his grandfather had done. He needed to get out of the basement. He needed to find the police and get some help. They would definitely be interested in the woman that was upstairs, probably eating another dog. He went into her room, searching for the way out. He walked beyond the rotting dog. He tried holding his breath, but he couldn't hold it long enough. He took one deep breath and lost his lunch, which made the smell in the room even worse. He saw what he was looking for. There were small slits in the wall that had to be where the door was. There was a major problem, however. There was no sign of a handle. There was no sign that the door opened in any way from the inside. It was only able to be opened from the outside. He slammed his fist against the door again and again, hurting his hands. He was desperate. He was less than a foot away from the way out. Just beyond the wall were stairs that would lead him to freedom. He was so close, yet he felt as though it were miles away. He wanted to cry. David turned, knowing that he was trapped like a rat. He took one step towards the door when he froze, his heart nearly exploding in his chest. His grandmother was standing in the doorway, her body silhouetted by the light behind her. She was carrying something in her hand, but he didn't know what it was. He opened his mouth to speak, but nothing came out. He didn't know what to say. He'd read the journal. He knew just what she was capable of. He had never been more terrified of a person than he was of her at that moment. Grandma, David said, his voice cracking and weak. I am your grandson, David. She stood there, not moving. It was making him anxious inside. He wanted to know why she was standing there and not doing anything. He wanted to know why she hadn't done whatever it was that she had come back downstairs to do. Don't kill me, David said. Please don't kill me. Her arm moved swiftly, tossing the object she'd been carrying. The object landed and rolled almost up to him. David knelt and looked at what she tossed. He immediately jumped back, knowing what it was. His father's face looked up at him, his mouth agape. His neck had been chewed off of his body. That was the thud he'd heard. It wasn't a dog. It had been his father wanting to get an early start. He'd had to force his way into the house where she was waiting. She'd killed him and had brought him his head as some kind of trophy. No, David said, but it came out only as a whisper. You look like your grandfather, his grandmother said, speaking clearly. There was no sign of what his grandfather had been saying in the journal. She spoke normally. She grabbed hold of the door and started closing it. Seeing what she intended to do, David ran to get out before she could do it. He got to the door just before it closed completely, trying to push it open. He outweighed his grandmother by more than a hundred pounds. 
the force of his slamming into the door should have knocked her backwards. All his force did was slow the progress. He saw for the first time the sadistic, animalistic smile on her face as she gave the door a final shove, sending him backwards with incredible force and leaving him in complete darkness. David was all alone. He was in a room with a dead dog and his dead father. He couldn't see anything, and he was terrified. He was going to die here. He screamed until his voice was hoarse. He screamed again as soon as he was able to. Minutes became hours, and hours turned into days. Nothing changed. He became hungry, and he was insanely thirsty. He learned that the walls would condensate from time to time, allowing him to moisten his mouth by licking the walls. His hunger, however, was a much more serious problem, and he had to consider that there were two things in the room to eat. Fortunately for him, he never had to make that choice. As the ceiling started to crumble and fill with dirt, he felt relief. He wondered if his grandmother had finally escaped the house, free to do whatever she pleased. As everything crumbled down around him, he knew that she hadn't. He heard her cackling like some insane person. Grandpa's secret was still in the house, never going to leave it. Neither was he. So there you have it, part three of Grandpa's Secret. Whew, what an ending. Grandma is certainly crazy. And what she is, nobody knows. As I mentioned when I first brought the podcast back a couple of weeks ago, when I introduced Secrets Out, I said that there was going to be two different versions of Grandpa's Secret. Now, there is no second version of the audio, but there's going to be a second version of the ebook version of Grandpa's Secret. There is a totally different ending to it. In fact, there's a completely different second half to the story. If you get the ebook version and pre-order it through the website goingpostalpublishing.com right now. From now until Secrets Out comes out, if you pre-order, you will get the second version of Grandpa's Secret for free. And now I'm going to touch a little bit about, I, I think those of you who are very sensitive to voices and to continuity will realize that in part two and part three, Grandpa had a different voice. That was actually my mistake in the last week. I didn't. I put the wrong file into the feed. I screwed up. It was an earlier version that had some editing issues where I had not taken out the background sound, so you might have heard a little bit of, of ambient background sounds, and Grandpa's voice was ultimately changed to that, that newer voice that you heard here in part three. So I apologize for that. Uh, I didn't even realize it until I went back and listened to it just a couple of days ago. My bad. But I assure you that'll be fixed when the audiobook version of it comes out, which I'm hoping to have some updates on that within the next month or two. I've been plugging away on that as much as I can, but it is the Christmas season, so as a mailman by day, I've been very busy. And now I'm just going to... I want to just bring something up. This is something I've been thinking about the last week. I was at Applebee's. I took my girlfriend out for some lunch the other day, and there was a song by Taylor Swift 
uh, You Belong to Me, I think it's called, and it was playing over the speaker, and for some reason, I was singing along, but not to that song. Am I the only person... I know I'm not, because I posted this on Facebook, and some, a lot of people responded, but it feels like I'm the only person that sings the Weird Al Yankovic version of whatever song comes on the radio. Whether it be TMZ, instead of You Belong to Me, or My My This Here Anakin Guy, instead of the American Pie song, Yoda, instead of Lola, Eat It, instead of Beat It, Smells Like Nirvana, instead of Smells Like Teen Spirit, Ode to a Superhero, instead of The Piano Man. For some reason, I always think of the Weird Al versions. I have the game Rock Band for my PlayStation 3 and the song Lump by the Presidents of the United States of America was on it and my girlfriend was listening from the couch while I was playing to it and just started yelling the words to Gump over the words to Lump and only missed like one or two notes. I was pretty impressed with myself. How about you? Do you think of the Weird Al Yankovic versions of songs when you hear them? Go to the Facebook page, that's facebook.com slash goingpostalpublishing. You will find the post on there. Just add a little comment to it and tell us what you think of the Weird Al. There's been already about five or six people that have been posting their thoughts about Weird Al and their favorite songs. Had somebody talk about headline news and Amish Paradise. I'm talking about you, Chuck. I found it funny because Amish Paradise, when I was in high school, had to do a poetry memorization in which we had to learn two poems or a certain amount of lines of poems and I chose to do some songs and you could do songs and you had to memorize them and you had to approve them with the teacher. I threw probably about 15-20 songs out most of them were Metallica songs a few Weird Al songs and she approved For Whom the Bell Tolls by Metallica and Amish Paradise by Weird Al Yankovic I'm going to guess that the only reason she approved For Whom the Bell Tolls was because she thought it was the original poem. Her eyes were kind of large when I was sitting there telling her the lyrics to that wonderful, wonderful song. And then I went into Amish Paradise, and I talked about how I walk through the valley where I harvest my grain, take a look at my wife, and realize she's very plain. And I went through the entire song, and... Afterwards, she just looked at me and said, I'm giving you an F because you're making fun of a religion. I looked at her and I said, you're the one that approved it. And she said, I would have never approved that. I showed her the piece of paper in which she signed off on it. Yeah, doesn't matter. She failed me. Look at me now. I'm the one with the microphone, not her. That teacher and I, we just didn't get along, but that's a different story for a different time. This has already been a very long episode. So, quick promos. I already mentioned the Facebook. I already mentioned the website. If you want to email me, that's goingpostalpublishing at gmail.com. Send me your questions, your comments, your cheap shots. Tell me I suck. Tell me my stories are okay. Tell me I am awesome. Twitter.com slash goingpostalpub. And check out my other podcast, Naked Bootleg Podcast. You can find it on iTunes. For those of you that think that the Naked Bootleg is about porn, sorry, it's about football. There's only so much porn I can talk about in a given day. So that's going to do it for this episode and for this month. 
So in case I don't talk to any of you before Christmas, Merry Christmas, Happy Holidays, whatever the PC version of this greeting or salutation is supposed to be. Personally, I say Merry Christmas. I think Hanukkah's already over. I don't know that much about Kwanzaa or the other holidays. I know about Christmas, and for those of you who celebrate it, Merry Christmas and Happy New Year to all. I know you all celebrate that with a little, you know, drink drinky, you know, getting slashed and kiss the closest person to you when the bell drops or the ball drops, whatever the hell it is. I don't know. I'll either be in bed or working on some recording at that moment. So take care, everyone. Bye-bye. You've been listening to the Going Postal Cast. For updates about Christopher Chapman, his stories, and future podcast happenings, be sure to go to goingpostalpublishing.com. If you want to follow along on Twitter, twitter.com slash goingpostalpub or like him at facebook.com slash goingpostalpublishing. This podcast is copyright 2012.